I want to tell you about two builders this morning, and none of them went to Houston, actually, with our team. Uh, but we did have some really, really strong uh, workers there, I heard. And um, yeah, I heard, I heard one guy worked so hard that he did the work of 100 men, <laughs> handing out dehumidifiers. That's what he did. And so we need, we need those people who work like that. But I want to tell you the story about two builders this morning. And the first one was a builder who worked on my house. And so my wife and I, uh, we, we bought our house about five years ago, but it was built before that. And when it was built, they added on a deck to the second story of our house. So it's a beautiful deck. It looks great. And every time you build something that we found out in our building process, you have to submit plans to someone. Okay, so we've submitted it to North Coventry Township for our building about 800 times, it feels like. For my deck, I think they only needed to submit one set of plans or blueprints. And so when they did that, they, they, they gave it to them. But then when they did the actual work, I think they skipped a step that was in the blueprints. Because I'm looking at my deck and everything looks fine. And all of a sudden, about two years ago, I'm away at a conference. And my wife calls me and she says, Andrew, there's a leak in our basement ceiling. And she said, it doesn't look good. And so I came home from the conference eventually and I looked up at the ceiling and I said, that doesn't look good. And then I called my friend Roger and he looked in the ceiling and he said, that doesn't look good. And you know what? It wasn't good. What had happened is they skipped a step and they, they didn't put the flashing, this barrier that's supposed to go between the house and the deck. And because they skipped that step, water came down into my wall of my basement and caused a whopping $24,000 worth of damage because they skipped a step. Now, fortunately, the insurance company, and we had Roger, it all got taken care of, and we didn't owe anything, and by God's grace, that was awesome. Uh, but there's another builder who didn't skip a step, okay? And so he got the plans, he built this, it got tested by water, and everything went well. And his name was Noah. Okay, so many of you know the story of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, kind of lived a very, very long time ago. And God revealed to Noah, I'm going to destroy the world by a flood, so build a boat. And then he gave him blueprints on how to build the boat, right? And, and you know what? Noah did what my builder didn't. He followed the directions. So he built the boat. Years and years later, the flood comes. Right, his family gets in there, it rains for 40 days, the waters open up from underneath, he's safe. About a year and a few months or a few weeks later, Noah gets out of the boat with his family and it's kind of a brand new world. And you know what? We love the story of Noah, especially to decorate our kids' bedrooms. Listen, if you didn't grow up in a, a church, in church sometimes you'd see the hallways lined with rainbows and giraffes and a big boat. Right in your kid's bedroom, there's, there's like, a, you know, llamas and all these different things. And the one thing we forget is that a whole bunch of people died in Noah's story. But our kids love the giraffes and the rainbows and, and all these different things, right? So it's all good. But the story of Noah, it really teaches us about faith. And, and that's what the authors of Hebrew does. We're studying the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. And in there, he says, look, Noah was a guy of faith. He points to Noah's life as, as what I would call a blueprint for our faith. And so not only a blueprint for our faith, but a faith that actually is going to matter, a faith that's going to make a difference one day. 
And so this morning, we're going to look into Noah's life just a little bit to see what faith should look like, to see what the blueprint of faith is. And here's one caution. Just like the builder skipped a step in my house, if we skip a step in this blueprint, our faith will fall flat. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll start looking into Noah's life. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that we get to be here. I thank you that you worked through Noah, God, and you want to work through us this morning. Would you open up our hearts and minds? Uh, Give us a fresh understanding of your word and a fresh understanding of faith. We thank you and we love you this morning. In your name, amen. Hey, so one more thing about faith, though, and I want to make this clear. Faith isn't us coming into this place and saying, yep, I have faith in God and we're renewing our faith and belief in God, right? Faith is actually a thing that when we leave here is supposed to make a difference in our lives, right? So it makes a difference with the people we're around and the words we say and the way we spend our money and the way we spend our time. So faith isn't just mere belief. It's actually about how we can make a difference with all the people in our lives. And so we're going to look at this blueprint of faith. The first thing that we start off with is trust. That faith starts with trust. You can write that down if you're taking notes this morning. Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 7. We only get one, one verse about Noah in Hebrews, and so that's what we're going to go off of. It says, By faith, Noah, when warned about the things not yet seen in holy fi- fear, built an ark to save his family. So the author of Hebrews mentions a few key verses in this passage. And, and, and the first thing that he mentions is that he had not yet seen it. So just for a refresher, what was he warned about that he had not seen? Well, let's look in Genesis chapter 6. Genesis is in the beginning of the Bible, and we'll start in verse 11. It says this, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. See a pattern, right? So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Uh, Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives. So, Noah got this word from God, but here's the issue. When Noah got this word from God, he probably looked around. And he said, okay, God. Because Noah lived in a very dry place. Right? We don't know if it was a desert, but there wasn't much water around. Noah had never been to the ocean Right? Some of you have never been to the beach. He was never to the beach. We don't think he was ever in a river. Where if Noah was in the pool, he's in the shallow end with the floaties on because he doesn't know what's going on. And so he hears from God and God says, I'm going to bring a flood to this place. Now, if you heard from God that he's going to bring a flood and you've never seen water enough to take a bath in, you're thinking, okay. All right, God, well, I I guess I can trust you. See, it doesn't say that that Noah trusted him. I, I love what it says. It says, in holy fear, he built the ark. Holy fear is like reverence and awe and in a sense of, God, you're so big and so trustworthy that I'll do whatever you say. 
So even though Noah didn't even have a category for what was going to happen, he said, sure, God, I'm going to trust you. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it tells us about faith. It says, now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So Noah had confidence, even though it was something that he could not see. And the author's really trying to push. That's what faith is about. It's about trusting God in that way. Now, I think, I'll talk about our culture for a second. I think our culture is really good at the exact opposite of what Noah did. Because we're really good at being skeptical. And I don't know if this is a new development, but I've seen it in my life over and over again. It's kind of popular to be skeptical about authority figures. And this isn't a political comment, right? This is just kind of in general. We look at people and we've been lied to, right? And people try to sell us different things. And we're always like, whoa, okay. Well, I'm going to have to test this out. I'm going to try to have you prove it to me. But we're not real big on, on trusting authority. So I don't have teenagers yet, but I was a teenager. Okay, and you all was a teenager at one point. And so when I was a teenager, my parents would tell me things. And, they, and it was good advice, right? And I loved them and I cared for them. But in my mind, even as I might have been shaking my head, yes, here's what I was really saying. I know you think that's the right thing, but I need to experience it for myself. I know my brain still has eight years where it needs to fully develop, but I don't know if I can trust you. And, and that's just kind of a normal teenage thing, I think. But some of us, we're kind of stuck there even when it comes to God that says, God, I know you've been faithful, but I need to figure this out on my own. I, need, I, I think I know it's best. Let me just try this out. See, we somehow think faith is just kind of like belief, right? Like, God, I believe in you and I believe in your son, but then when it comes to actually trusting God, belief isn't quite enough. So let, let's bring it to real life. If someone came up to you, let's say they were your trusted friend and they said this, the stock market is going to completely crash in five days. And you were like talking to them and they were kind of telling you a little bit more and a little bit more. If you trusted them, what would you do? What would you do? Right? You'd, you'd sell everything. You'd take your money out of the stock market. But what's more likely to happen? You'd probably say, yeah, I believe you, but then not do anything. Right? Because it's kind of so outrageous that you're like, well, I'm not sure I can trust you. Even though you've never been wrong, I don't know if I can trust you. And see, faith is a little bit like that, that we need to trust God. We need to put ourselves on the line because we say, God, I'm going to believe you. Whatever you tell me, I'm going to do it. And sometimes I wonder, why don't we trust God? Is it because we don't believe that he actually knows what's best for us or loves us or cares for us? Sometimes I think a lack of a trust in God is a symptom of something else. I think it's a symptom of idolatry in our hearts. Because here's what we do. God wants control, but we say, you know what, God? I really want control. I think I know what's best. Or maybe the idol is comfort. And we say, God, I think I can make myself more comfortable than you could ever bring me comfort. Sometimes it's acceptance. God, you know, I know you love me. 
This is what we say, right? I know you love me, God, and you care for me, but I'm more concerned about what other people think of me than what you think of me. And sometimes it's power where we say, you know what, God? I want to be known and I want to be recognized and I'm not that worried about you and what you want. And see, I think some of these things can afflict you whether you've been following Jesus for one day or for 50 years. And see, Jesus promises us that he's going to break the chains of those things, but we need to go to him and say, God, and admit and say, I don't trust you. I need you to help me trust you. Because you can't force yourself to trust God, right? You can't just like sit here and say, all right, now I need to trust God, so I'm going to do it. No, you actually need Jesus' help and the Holy Spirit's help to help you trust him. That doesn't mean you don't do anything, but it's saying, God, I need your help for me to trust you. Because if you're going to have faith, that's where it starts. It starts with trusting God. But the second part of the blueprint is that it doesn't stop there. See, that faith continues, right, through obedience. It acts in obedience. So let's read Read uh, chapter 11, verse 7 again. It says this, By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, he built an ark to save his family. So I don't know if you got this yet, but the big deal about Noah is that he built an ark. Right? I mean, Noah, he built, a, built an arky arky. You ever hear that song? Okay, maybe not. Um, I think my parents taught me it, so maybe I'm just alone. But Noah built an ark, right? He, he obeyed God. So I want to tell you a little bit about the ark this morning and not spend that much time on it. Uh, if you'd like to see what the ark looks like, you can go to the Creation Museum in Kentucky and you can see the massive size of the ark. Now here's what I don't want us to get stuck on. I don't want us to get stuck on the ark, right? Like the ark is big. The ark is big. It's 450 feet long approximately, about 75 feet tall and 45 feet wide. Put in another way, it's about one and a half football fields long, an eight-story building high and wide. About 1,300 shipping containers, the kind you see on the big boats, could probably fit inside or somewhere around 200 basketball courts. So this thing was massive. And so Noah, he just said, sure, I'll build the ark. It's a pretty amazing commitment from a guy who was actually a farmer. So Noah wasn't a shipbuilder, right? He wasn't a carpenter. He wasn't any of those things. He was a farmer. And here's the issue. If you've ever seen the movie Evan Almighty, right? He like wakes up one day and there's like all this lumber in his backyard. Guess what? Noah didn't have all this lumber in his backyard. So he had to go out somehow and cut down all of these trees or pay someone to cut down all of these trees get them to his place, slice them down, and then cut them again and put them on this structure, all without power tools. This guy was seriously committed. Who's seen the movie Noah with Russell Crowe? Has anyone seen that kind of like a newer movie, like Gladiator Noah? Right? Gladiator Noah. So in that movie, if you watched it, Noah has all these like rock giant people like bringing trees and putting them over. Guess what? Not in the Bible, right? It was Noah and maybe his sons and his wives, maybe. And so scholars think it took Noah about 120 years to build the ark based on Genesis 6-3. 120 years is a long time, 
right? People lived a little bit longer back then. Noah was like 500 years old, so he wasn't a spring chicken. Now, people, people only live 120 years. That's what the scriptures tell us, but no, that was before God said that. So just think about that, 120 years. Feels like that's how long 422 is going to take to get fixed, <laughs> right? We, we've been doing our building project for two and a half years, and we're like, when are we going to be done? Noah was two years in, and he said, we're just getting started. In Genesis 6 through 7, if you, you look at the story of Noah, four different times it says this amazing fact, that God commanded to Noah to do it, and Noah did everything as God commanded him to. See, when an author repeats something, here's the clue. They want you to notice it. So four times, Noah's just seen as a man who's going to obey God and obey God. See, because if faith is going to make a difference, it can't just be trust. It has to be obedience as well. And James, Jesus' brother, he really kind of pushes this out. And he doesn't talk about Noah, but he's trying to make the same point. And and James is awesome because he just kind of gives it to us straight up. Like he doesn't mince words. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. He just says, here's what it is. And I want to read together with you. We'll put it up here on the screen. Here's what James, Jesus' brother, says. In chapter 2 of this letter he wrote to some people, verses 17 through 19, he said this. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So let's work backwards through these verses. So believing in God or Jesus, kind of just believing that they're real isn't enough. Because here's what James says. Hey, you believe? Awesome. Guess what? The demons, they believe. And so you're doing good. You're on the same level with the demons. Right now, he didn't say the demons have faith. He just said they believe Jesus is real. And so great, you're, you're, you're on the right track, but so are the demons. But there's got to be a place where we go differently than the demons, right? So he said, faith isn't just about belief. And if you think belief in God is good enough, it's not. He said, I'll show you my deeds and they'll prove my faith while you just talk about having faith. See, talk is cheap. See, what are we learning? That faith without action is not faith at all. See, what I think we really need to understand is that trusting God leads us to act for God. Now, let's pause for one moment. Just a reminder, you can't work your way into God's good graces, right? We say this all the time because we need to remind ourselves all the time. You can't do enough good stuff to get God to love you. God only loves you because of Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, he loves you because of Jesus. But that doesn't mean that we can't do anything. We're actually supposed to do stuff, but not because we want to get in God's good graces, but out of gratitude for all that God has done for us. And there's a theologian named D.A. Carson, and and he gives this great example, and he calls it grace-driven effort. Right? So we're not doing it to earn anything. We're doing it out of gratitude. And here's what he says about grace-driven effort. He said, people do not drift towards holiness. Right? So we're talking about obedience. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, 
and obedience to Scripture, faith and delight in the Lord. What do we do? We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and we call it faith. He said we cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves that we have been liberated. See, just because Jesus did it all for us doesn't mean we just sit back and say, okay, I'm just going to enjoy this grace of Jesus. Because if you really understand all that he's done for you, all the more are you motivated to love and serve others and care for them. I was reading a book uh, last week, and it was by a guy named Nabil Qureshi. And he wrote a book called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Excellent book. It's kind of about this guy who is a devout Muslim, and he, he wants to kind of research Christianity to prove that it's not good and it's not right. And what ends up happening is that, that Nabil, through a friendship, a loving person caring for him, some debating, some research, and some dreams from God, he eventually becomes a follower of Jesus. An amazing story, right? And so he talks about his parents in the book, and they're devout Muslims, like, they're, like his parents' parents were missionaries, like they're there to kind of spread Allah's message to everyone, and here's what he said about his parents. He said, Christianity in the minds of many Muslims has produced this promiscuous, domineering Western culture. Christianity, therefore, must be ungodly. They, his parents, right, he's talking about his parents, did not categorize religion with belief, but with cultural identity. And then here's the part I want us to get. The tragedy here is that no one has ever given them a reason to think otherwise. If they were to intimately know even one Christian who lived differently, their misconceptions might be corrected and they might see Christianity in a virtuous light. What he's saying is that, that Muslims who aren't, who aren't from America, when they think of Christianity, all they think of is kind of Hollywood and premarital sex and drugs and selfishness and... and greed, right? That's all they think of because they know America is a Christian nation. But he's saying if, if they inter had interfaced with just one real Christian, that misconception would be blown out of the water. Why do I tell you that? Because we need to be the people that when, when people meet us, when they see our lives, they're going to say, man, something is different, that they actually take following Jesus seriously. Because when you say you have faith in Jesus, you don't just believe in him. You trust him and act. Here's a question I want to ask us this morning. If you weren't a person of faith, would your life really look any different other than your weekends? That if you weren't a person of faith, would anything look different in your life other than maybe where you go on Sunday morning? See, I'm not trying to say that to be convicting or mean. I'm trying to say that does faith actually make a difference in your life? Does it make a, way, a difference in the, in the way you act towards your neighbors or your family or how you use your finances or how you treat the poor? Because, man, when Jesus gave up everything for us, he didn't do it so we could just sit back and do nothing. He did it so that we can join him in bringing the whole world back to himself. 
And so we're going to follow the blueprint of faith. We need to start with trust, that it acts in obedience. That's what faith does, but it doesn't stop there. It's not just a a one-and-done type thing, right? Here's the last thing that faith does. It finishes through perseverance. That faith finishes through perseverance. By faith, Noah, we're going to read the same verse again, but finish it. When warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built in ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So now this is a little strange because we know the story of Noah's Ark. We know that all the animals came into the ark, right? Like a petting zoo on steroids. We know that they kind of went through the waters and, and did all of that. But now the author's saying he condemned the world. So we kind of get this from other New Testament authors. Okay, and they say that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. We don't really get many words that Noah said, but it didn't seem like he was preaching to anyone. But here's where I think they were getting at. Ready? I want you to imagine this in your minds. In your front yard is this building project. Okay? So now you're building this thing and it gets higher and higher and higher every week. And people are coming to you and they're like, hey, what's going on? What do you think Noah said? You think he's like, I don't know. No. Right? Noah was started to tell them about his vision from God, about how the whole world was going to be taken away by a flood. And he probably told them about God, and, and, and we hear that no one was really righteous, so Noah was probably warning them. He was probably saying, hey, you can join in. You can get in the ark when it's ready. And they're like, eh, no thanks. The thing that bothered me when I was studying about Noah, right, is that I realized that he had brothers and sisters, And even his brothers and sisters, they were like, no thank you. They didn't want anything to do with Noah. And listen, when people were walking to his front yard and he told them this story and he told them what God told them to do, they were probably like, this guy is a fool. This guy has no idea what's going on in life. He's crazy. He's kind of like the the kooky old neighbor over there that no one really wants to talk to. Think that was hard for Noah? I think there were some really hard things there. In 120 years, do you think Noah ever thought about throwing in the towel? Probably, right? He probably needed encouragement from God to keep going because he's like, when is this going to be done? Maybe he's even questioning, did God even tell me to do this? Think about that, 120 years. See, faith, it finishes with perseverance. Sometimes God asks us to do something and and we're like, all right, I'm going to follow in faith. And we do it and you know what? It's awesome. Right? Like God asks us to pray for someone to be healed and they get healed. God asks us to give and and we give and we tithe faithfully. And do you know what? God miraculously provides for us through a check in the mail, through money, through someone blessing us. And man, it is really great. Or maybe you invite your friend to church or you share about Jesus. And you know what? They become a follower of Jesus and their whole family's life is changed. And those are amazing moments and we want to celebrate those. And yet, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes God asks you to act in faith and you do it. And nothing changes. Or sometimes it actually gets harder in life for a little while. Right? Like you say, yep, God, I'm going to follow you. And then you're like, God, is this, is this the way it's supposed to go? 
So I think God actually uses those moments where we're questioning to help grow us, to help us change, to help us be more like Him, to help us learn to trust Him. Because we don't always see the reward right away, right? For Noah, it was 120 years, and then his family got saved, and he realized that it was the right thing, and he got rewarded. It's not always like that for us. It's not always like, I'll do this, the next day it's there. It's, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to do what He said, and I'm going to be faithful to it. See, some of us today feel like the Holy Spirit wants to say this to you. Some of us today feel like God might have forgotten about us. And we're questioning, is he still there? Did he really say to do this? Is this really the right way? And I want to tell you this morning, yes, that God is with you. That he cares for you. That he cares for you more than, more than the tiny sparrows. That's what the scriptures tell us. And then I think there's some other of us here that, that at one point God gave us a dream. God told us, I want you to do this. And we said, all right, God, I'm going to do it. And we started. And then somewhere along the line, we kind of forgot about it. Or we got discouraged. And maybe today God is saying, you know what? Remember when I said that to you? I want you to, to keep going after that. I want you to push forward. I want you to work on that. I want you to love that person. I want you to, to care for them. I want you to share my good news. See, things get a little blurry over time, but you know what? Faith that makes a difference is faith that perseveres. It's kind of like creating a garden. Okay, so I've only done that one time in my life. I wouldn't call it like a full-blown garden. We planted a bunch of stuff, but, but when you plant a garden, right, you start off with little seeds, and then you put the seeds kind of in some soil, and you water them. And you're faithful to water them and the sun. And day after day, you go to water them and the sun, and you're like, is this thing ever going to grow? Right? And then you start to see a little bit of hope. And the plant grows up a little bit and a little bit and a little bit more, and you water and you're faithful and you keep going and you keep going. And eventually it becomes like a real plant, but then you're like, where's the tomatoes? Right? Where's the corn? And then little by little, you start to see more fruit. Right? You actually get tomatoes, you get peppers, you get corn, you get all these different things. See, that's how faith works a lot of times. Is that it's not just, I trust you, God, I'm going to obey you, and then boom. It's, I trust you, God, I'm going to obey you, I'm going to keep obeying you, and keep following, and keep following. And do you know what? Through that process, God is going to give you joy, and God is going to give you strength. And this is the reason why it's so important to be spending time with the Father on a daily basis. This is why it's important to be with other followers of Jesus in a connection group or with other people who love Jesus who are going to spur you on towards what God's called you to do. Because listen, I get discouraged when I'm by myself. Sometimes I need other people to speak into my life and help remember that God is faithful and that he's there. So this morning, maybe God's asked you to do something. He said, I'm going to try but you've lost passion or you've lost steam. God is saying today, one of the blueprints for faith is that you persevere. You know, Noah's story is pretty amazing because we don't just look at it and say, here's a blueprint for faith, where right? we do look at it and say that, but it actually points forward to something else. See, Noah, it's not just, hey, look, Here's Noah, and he built this big ark, and he did this, and he trusted God, and look what happened. But at the end of the verse, 
It said that he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes through faith. What an heir is, is someone who's promised something. But here's the problem. In the book of Hebrews, especially at the end of chapter 11, we see none of the people who had faith got exactly what they were looking for because they were waiting for something else. And that something else was Jesus Christ. Because he was actually the only true, blameless, perfect person. See, we find out later that Noah, that while he was upright and looked like a great guy, he wasn't perfect. But there's someone who was. See, Jesus Christ came down as the God-man, and he lived a perfect life. And then he, he died on the cross to take our punishment, the wrath that we deserve. And then he ascended into heaven. See, what Noah was waiting for, what the heir he was to, was what Jesus Christ did, that he gave us the ability to be righteous. Because when God looks at us, if we're following Jesus, he sees Jesus' righteousness, not our messed up parts, not even all the good things we do. He sees Jesus. See, when you look at the story of Moses, or Noah, and you look at Jesus, it points forward because just like Noah was rescued by the ark, right? we're rescued by Jesus, and, and there's a, a few similarities there that I just want to pull out. That the ark... Right? It was a divine and human thing together. It was a divine and human project. And Jesus, what was he? He was divine and human. God used the ark, this wooden structure, to save Noah and start the world over again. What did God do? He used a wooden structure with Jesus, the cross, to save people. See, in the ark, it was filled with animals from all over the place, right? The picture in the book of Revelation, which is kind of the last book in the New Testament, tells us kind of about the end. In chapter 7, verse 9, it says that in heaven there's people from every tongue, tribe, and nation at this large celebration. See, those are all people who have found faith in Jesus Christ. Noah's story that there was a new creation, kind of a, a redoing of everything, that's Jesus' story in Revelation 21, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. See, Noah's story actually points towards Jesus and points towards Jesus' story, the one that's still going on, the one that's being lived out between, from you and I. See, it's not, man, look at that amazing thing that Noah did. It's man, look at what we have in Jesus Christ. He's the one who saves us from destruction. And he's the one that God's using to make everything right again, to redeem the world back to himself. You know, there's one more thing that I like to talk about that are the same between the ark and Jesus. And that's this, that the ark had one door. It only had one entrance. And see, with, with Jesus, here's what he said. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the light that anyone who wants to come to the Father has to come through me. And so that's what we need to know this morning. That if we want to receive what God has for us, we go through Jesus Christ. If I could have every head bowed and eye closed this morning.
just like to ask you if you're here and you, you've never followed Jesus before. Say, today is a day where he's calling out to you to say you can follow me. You can be God's son or daughter. You know what? Some of us feel like we're not worthy. We haven't done the right things or said the right things or we're not the right type of people. But here's what God did. He sent Jesus to die in your place. And today, God is saying, you can be saved. You can be part of my people. If you're here this morning, I don't know what brought you here. But I know that God is calling out to you. And this morning, if you say, Andrew, I want to follow Jesus. I've been trying to do life on my own for too long. But I want to follow him. And if that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand and let me know to say, Andrew, I'm tired of doing it on my own. I want to follow Jesus. It's an amazing thing that you can do that he gives us this opportunity. I'll wait a moment more. Is there anyone who would say, yes, I want more of Jesus? You can look up at me this morning. It's amazing to me that Jesus would care about someone like me who doesn't get it right. And you know what? In that, even though we're not knocking it out of the park with our faith, he still loves us and he's still calling us to himself. See, Noah's story should actually be like our story. That we're growing in our faith, that we're learning to trust that out of that trust, we're acting in obedience. And out of the obedience, we're persevering in our faith. So this morning, I want us just to spend a minute or so asking God maybe to help us see where we haven't trusted him in our life or where we've heard from him and we haven't obeyed him or even what he's asked us to do and we've lost our perseverance. So let's take a minute And let's just ask God to speak to us. Ask him to help us have a faith that's going to make a difference. As you're praying this morning, God's bringing something to your mind. Don't determine that you're going to fix it. But determine that you're going to ask him to help you and commit yourself to him. And he will help you. pray for us this morning. We're going to have some prayer partners come up here, some people who want to pray with you. If you need prayer for anything, they're willing to pray with you. Pray that God would help you and pray for you. If you made a commitment to Christ today, you can let us know on the back of your card or even want us to pray with you about something. We'd love to do that. So I'm going to pray and we'll be dismissed.
And you can drop your cards back in the orange bucket. Father, I thank you for Noah. I thank you that even though his story was a long, long time ago, God, we're never going to face what he faced, that he was faithful to you, and it ended up being his salvation. God, help us to be faithful to you because Jesus is our salvation. Help us to be people who make a difference with our faith in the world. Give us the power we need. Give us the passion we need. We love you and we thank you, Lord. In your name, amen.